Hello, everyone. This is Molly Douthit, and on behalf of my husband and partner, David Douthit, welcome to an encore presentation of More Than Hearing. We are away and traveling and unable to do a proper show for you this week, but we have some good material from our previous time through this liturgical year, and we don't want you to be bereft. While this year we've been focusing on two intelligences per episode, three years ago we did as many of the eight as we could for our four passages. The audio quality eh, won't be quite the same, as we were still using pretty primitive equipment then just a little better than stone knives and bearskins, and not where we are today. Nevertheless, we invite you to sit back and enjoy this blast from the past encore of Year C, Ordinary 17, 2016. Due to some as yet unexplained technical glitch, Molly's microphone dropped out when we recorded the Gospel Passage segment. We've recovered as much of the audio as we can, but the sound quality is not up to our usual standards. We apologize for any distractions this may cause, and hope to have the problem rectified for our next episode. Hello everyone, this is Molly Douthat. And David Douthat. Welcome to More Than Hearing a podcast to encourage preachers to incorporate multiple intelligences into sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today's podcast will cover the lectionary selections for the 17th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year C, or Proper 12, or Pentecost plus 10. Outrageous things are going on in the text this week. Hosea takes a wife of whoredom. Paul describes a cosmic power shift. And Jesus tells a story about a presumptuous request among friends. I don't know that our offerings are outrageous, but hopefully they're pretty cool. Let's jump in. We have established this podcast based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, we develop illustrations and special effects for the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary that use various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. We call them Word Smart, Eye Smart, Math Smart, Body Smart, Music Smart, Nature Smart, People Smart, and Self Smart. You can read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking on the link at the top of our webpage. As we read and reflect on the scripture passages for each week, we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Anytime and any way we make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Now it's time for our Smart of the Week. We haven't done one of these for a while, but from time to time we focus our attention on one of the eight smarts from Dr. Gardner's work. Today we're going to talk about self-smart. More formally, it is called intrapersonal intelligence. According to Dr. Gardner's website, this smart includes sensitivity to one's own feelings, goals, and anxieties, and the capacity to plan and act in light of one's own traits. It is located in the frontal lobes, the parietal lobes, and the limbic system of the brain. Interpersonal intelligence is not particular to a specific career. Rather, it is a goal for every individual in a complex modern society where one has to make consequential decisions for oneself. 
Quoting from Dr. Thomas Armstrong's book, Multiple Intelligences in the Classroom, Intrapersonal intelligence is self-knowledge and the ability to act adaptively on the basis of that knowledge. This intelligence includes having an accurate picture of oneself, one's strengths and one's limitations, an awareness of inner moods, intentions, motivations, temperaments, and desires, and the capacity for self-discipline, self-understanding, and self-esteem. We have a link to a sample of Dr. Armstrong's book on our website if you would like to check that out. People who are self-smart may find themselves in any job or career, but psychotherapists and religious leaders in particular might find benefit from being self-smart in that they must have good personal boundaries to be effective in their professions. They might also then be able to guide others in exploring issues of self-knowledge, self-expression, and self-esteem. Self-smart is perhaps the core of religious experience, as humans seek answers to the great questions of identity, purpose, and destiny. Yet in the corporate worship life of the Church, or at least in the Western traditions, Relatively little time is specifically devoted to giving people time to reflect on the implications of the Word of God. A good option for exercising this smart would be to offer an extended time for silent reflection or prayer where no one, least of all the worship leader, speaks or distracts people from the chance to ponder the mystery. This might drive people who are not self-smart strong a little crazy at first, but perhaps our fast-paced, hard-driving culture could benefit from a little contemplative experience led by our self-smart friends. And that's our Smart of the Week. Yay! The Old Testament passage for Year C, Ordinary 17, is Hosea 1, verses 2 through 10. This is the beginning of the book, and the first thing right out of the box, God tells Hosea, to take a wife of whoredom, which is not a word we throw around very often and uh, don't use in worship very often. But here it is three times in this sentence. Uh, take a wife of whoredom to have children of whoredom because the land commits great whoredom, forsaking the Lord. Hosea goes on and does that. He marries Gomer and they start to have children. The Lord gives names to the children, which are prophetic names, uh, Jezreel Lo, lo Ruhama and Lo Ami, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. What those mean, but they have dire meanings prophetically for the people of Israel. We've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about the primary expressed intelligences in the passage, and that's the intelligence that is kind of the driving force in the pericope. And um, once we understand how that works, then it gives us the idea of how to work around that through the other intelligences to get into the passage for the other smarts. Which works for some passages better than others. It does. This one doesn't lead too many other directions because it's so heavily word. It is pretty heavily word. Molly thinks it's word. I think it's word with hints of people and an oaky finish. Um <laughs> Well, the reason anyway, I think it's word yes. um, is because of the names. It just seemed to, you know, pop up, just sort of like little flags, bing, 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 everywhere. Um, and particularly because the meaning of the names, we just read them in English and think, well, that's kind of unusual or that's hard to pronounce. Right. But in Hebrew, they have very specific meanings. So Gomer 
it comes from the, the verb gamar, which means come to an end. So Hosea is taking a wife whose name is come to an end. Hey, what's that mean prophetically? And then Jezreel uh, literally means God sows, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Lo Ruhama means no compassion, and Lo Ami means not my people. So those are very, for the Hebrew and for the people who were hearing those names at that time, those are very clear signals. You knew what you're going to get. So for illustrations, you can kind of go a literary route and look at some of the, the names that are in, in uh, popular literature, like Mount Doom or Lord Sidious or Captain Blood or the Artful Dodger. You know exactly what you're going to get, or you're pretty clued in to what that kind of, uh, what that name means for either that place or that person. Uh, Shakespeare has said, what's in a name? Would a rose by any other name smell as sweet? Continuing on with illustrations, you can talk about nicknames. Nicknames are often very descriptive, very descriptive, uh, really predictive about the person, and they usually carry a specific personal or temporal meaning. So those are some illustrations that you can use for WordSmart. For a special effect, get a baby name book or go to a website, go to websites that have baby names and look up the, the names of some of the people in your congregation. What do they mean? Are there any names that are particularly blessings? Are there some that might be curses? Are there challenges in any other ways? Ask anyone if they know the story of their name and how it came to them and encourage them to get acquainted with the meanings of their names and in the coming week live out the best meaning of their name if it's a good name or consider how to counteract it if the meaning is bad or if the name came you know down from uh, generations ahead of them and they've always been kind of you know chafing at it what name do they go by as a workaround what about the character of the person for whom they're named exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. I also think it's word smart, just to throw that in there. And uh, <laughs> the, the hints of people that I was suggesting, uh, the names are representative of the relationship yes. between God and the people at this point. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of emotion that comes behind the, the words the name. And, and the names. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but mm -hmm. I, I think word is probably the intelligence here as well. We're going to go on to iSmart and look at one of the names in particular, and that's the boy named Jezreel. We're picking iSmart here because it's not only visual things, but spatial. And Jezreel is a particular place in Israel. It's a valley and a city, uh, an agricultural area, very fertile. God sows. God sows is the name. But it's also where King Jehu started his reign. He started off pretty well, but mm -hmm. then kind of came off the rails. And he kind of fell in with a fertility cult yeah, in, the, in the area. Fell in with a wrong crowd mm -hmm. and uh, ends up doing some really bad things religiously and then bad things morally and ethically and ends up killing a lot of people yeah. at Jezreel. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a place that's associated with violence and atrocities and atrocities and inhumanity. So for an illustration to get a sense of that, it would be like naming a son Milai or Batan or Auschwitz or Selma, you know, really powerful 
name place associations with really horrible things that happened in history. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the kind of thing that God is getting across by saying, name him Jezreel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some strong associations here with word smart and people smart too, but mm-hmm. because of that location thing, we're, we're going with I smart. I smart, yeah. Very briefly in Music Smart, there is a song that Johnny Cash recorded years ago written by Shel Silverstein called A Boy Named Sue. If you've not heard it, I recommend looking it up or go going going to find the poem "A Boy Named Sue." It's a it's a story of a person's journey of self discovery and why he was named that. Uh, so there's a little bit of self that's in that as well, but it is a song, so that's why we put it in Music Smart. For People Smart, we have a couple just a couple things to to ponder here that you can either develop into an illustration or maybe offer people to discuss as a special effect. Wondering, would the people in Israel realize what Hosea was doing and why? Uh, did he announce it? Was or were they supposed to guess? Or was it so obvious that he was doing something outlandish that it would that everybody would be talking mm-hmm. about it? Mm-hmm. And totally unconventional. Very unconventional. You, wearing you, a meat you, dress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you don't generally, you know, if you're a respectable citizen, you don't go and marry a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So his doing that would be eye-catching, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might also think about whether people still react to someone, as they say, marrying beneath them. And how do people react and why? And are there examples that you can think of? Um, Lots of it in literature. Yeah. There's, there's pull word smart in again. Yeah. And is it ever a positive thing to marry beneath your position? If not, why not? Why don't we think of it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, those are some some questions to poke around with what was going on for Hosea and the community. And then also imagine going through life with a name like No Compassion. Mm. How would people relate to you when they hear your name mm-hmm. and introduce, hi, I'm No Compassion? Whoa, I think I'm going to remove myself here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how would you relate to them when they react to you? Mm -hmm. So this kind of leads into self-smart then. Imagine going through life with a name like No Compassion. How would you feel about yourself? Would you give in to your name and, you know, be a very uncompassionate person? Or would you try to overcome it or overcompensate for it? Um, how would you feel towards your parents for naming you, giving you this name? A lot of people are given names and so they go by a nickname because they don't care for that name. Or they go by their middle name. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who go by their middle names. Mm-hmm. A special effect, ask your congregation, do you give yourself any negative names? And do those names have any basis in reality? Where did that negative name come from? Was it something that you gave yourself? Was it something you acquired from another person that you have now internalized? And what name do you think God would give you? And try to live into that for the coming week. Okay, let's go on. The epistle lesson for year C, Ordinary 17, continues in the book of Colossians. We're now in chapter 2. The lectionary selects verses 6 through 15 and adds parenthetically verses 16 through 19. 
Paul is continuing to develop his argument about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for humanity. I, I don't think there's any real clear evidence in the book that he is specifically addressing people who have been teaching differently, like there is in Galatians. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's some residual effect of that, and so he's making sure that nobody teaches anything differently. So he's being very, very specific and very, very clear and very forceful about the whole Jesus event talking about being rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, goes on to speak very clearly about uh, the way the body is changed, Jesus being the head of the body, the sorts of things that happen to your body that no longer need to happen to the body. We are looking, again, at the primary expressed intelligences as ways of getting into looking at other intelligences in this particular passage. I thought that the primary expressed intelligence is nature, and David thought it was body. Yeah, I, I thought body because there are quite a few body references throughout it, that Jesus dwelt in the body and brought the fullness of God into the body. There's a lot of talk about circumcision. There's a lot of talk about burial and death and rising again. So mm -hmm. uh, all of those were making me feel my body, <laughs> <laughs> get in touch with being a, a physical being. The reality of being a physical being and Jesus being a physical being, I think, were really important parts of understanding what was going on here. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. why I chose body. Just as a connecting illustration for that, if you've ever had pneumonia and then recovered. Uh, you know, when, <laughs> well, you've recovered if you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> if not, we'll pray for you. But um, uh, it really knocks you out and, and yeah. you, you just have nothing, you know, no strength and it's hard to move and everything hurts. And then when you recover, then, hey, I'm back to normal and, mm. and you carry on with your normal life. And that's sort of a flavor of what's going on, I think, with what Paul's saying, that uh, we're dead in our trespasses and we're dead because of our connection with the elemental forces of, of the universe mm -hmm. and Christ makes us alive. So it would be as if we had pneumonia and then instantly were healed as wow. opposed to taking the two weeks or whatever <laughs> that it takes to recover. <laughs> to recover. And then it's just like, boom, be healed. Hmm. So that, that would be my illustration for, for body. Well, I thought it was uh, the primary expressed intelligence was nature smart because of the very words that you, Paul uses at the beginning about being rooted and built up. Rooted is definitely an agricultural uh, image of, you know, plants. Uh, plants do not live or, or fulfill their plantness unless they are rooted in the ground. That's, that's the way they exist. That's the way they work. And so there's this sense of being rooted in, in this experience of Jesus Christ. But there's also, an, an, a, from Scott Hosey at the Center for Excellence in Preaching at Calvin Seminary, um, he says that there is an elemental shift. There's an actual shift in the universe, in the balance of powers in the universe with the Jesus' death and resurrection. So that the rulers and the authorities that were vying for control in, in the world at that time have been overthrown and they have been made a spectacle. And the spiritual debt of humanity to God for spoiling God's creation was nailed to the cross and stamped canceled in Jesus' blood. So, you know, the fact that we mucked up creation, we're still doing a pretty good job of mucking it up. Yeah, yeah. But at the death and resurrection of Jesus, the entirety of the cosmos changed. There's a whole new reality out there. 
So as an illustration, imagine if there were a sudden change in the gravitational constant of the universe so that suddenly, you know, we're not walking across the floor, we're floating across the floor, or we're thudding across the floor because it's so much heavier now. Or if hydrogen no longer bonded to other elements, there goes water. Yeah. <laughs> or if one man had the power to overcome death, hmm. Hmm. who would that be? Yeah, so there's an illustration for Nature Smart. Going back up to the top, we've also got some illustrations for math and for people and a special effect in self. So let's look at math, David. No, let's look at I, Molly, because you oh, forgot Oh, right, that because one. I jumped right over the top of that. Okay, go ahead. Uh, okay. Do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, some of what's going on in the passage here is sort of a, like a before and after ad for fitness products with testimonials. You know, I used to be fat and lazy and had no energy, but now with Super Jesus, I mean, I'm <laughs> lean and toned and run marathons and you show off your six pack. And I'm never going back. Thanks, Super Jesus, I mean. Uh, you, know, you know the kind of commercial I'm talking about. That's the kind of shift that Paul's describing here before Jesus and after Jesus. And, and it's not quite as cheesy, hopefully, as, <laughs> as an infomercial. But, uh, yeah, what kind of infomercial would Paul write? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that kind of also leads into MathSmart. We have an illustration for MathSmart. You know, the whole idea of MathSmart being logical intelligence. It's the greater to lesser argument that we've been talking about. And Paul uses this a lot because that was a very common uh, rhetorical device for mm -hmm. that particular age. In this case, it's something that we like. You belong to A, which is the greatest thing ever, <laughs> and they want you to submit to B, which is subject to A. That's not logical at all. And this is strengthened by the context from chapter one. So, you know, you belong to this big group. Why would you go back to the, the smaller group? Stay in the big one. You belong to Christ, ruler of all the cosmos. Yeah, and that made and, that fundamental shift and everything. Yeah, and and these clowns on the side want you back. And I was like, well, no, oh, not doing that. No, not doing that. Not going there. Yeah, yeah. So then, moving on down to uh, people, people smart. smart. An illustration for this uh, is what, what Paul is attempting to counter, and whether he's doing it because there is a specific threat to him, or he's just kind of trying to nip this in the bud so that it doesn't become a problem, is taking care not to let the Colossians fall into the trap of a smaller understanding of who Jesus is. A lesser God. A lesser God, right. exactly, yes. So for an illustration in People Smart, you can talk about this smaller group that is trying to lure the Colossians away, or that succeeded in luring the Galatians away, mm. by creating a need in them, saying, you need this, this is something that you must do. And so illustrating that, talk about advertising. I mean, what better example is there out there of people who create a need for a product and then they offer it, whether it's an upgrade or whether it's a scam? Uh, Charlie Lyon Pardue, writing at A Plain Account, says that the gospel doesn't need an upgrade every summer or every three months. There's no gospel 3 or gospel 4S or gospel 5SL. It's just the gospel. And it is what it is and it always has been and always will be. Uh, it is sufficient. It is sufficient, absolutely. If you want to use a, a, a specific illustration, if you've ever seen the movie The Music Man, the idea of creating a demand for something out of nothing. There is a specific number where the, the Music Man shows the audience what it is he's doing. 
in, in creating this need for um, band uniforms and band instruments. It's a scam, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, called uh, Trouble right here in River City. We'll have a link to that. For self-smart, thinking about that shift that the uh, Colossians were being invited to make, to, to upgrade, invite folks to reflect on, on their own experience of life and what it would be like without belonging to Christ. Uh, if they were in that first phase before the the shift happened, you know, what, what would what would it be like without Christ? Would it be different? And what would be different? What would be the same? And do they feel like they have, in fact, died with Christ and been raised with him? And if not, then what do they imagine that would mean for them? And do they want to have that experience? And if so, are they remembering to be thankful, as Paul instructs them to do? Okay, let's go on. The Gospel lesson for Year C, Ordinary 17, is Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Uh, This starts off with Luke's description of the Lord's Prayer, and then continues into a parable about a friend who comes knocking in the middle of the night looking for bread for visitors, and the homeowner says, no, go away. But the persistence and outrageous timing and insistence by the uh, knocker at the door leads him to go ahead and grant the request. Jesus uses this as an example that we should also trust that God is going to hear our prayers. We also get out of this the lovely and famous ask, and it will be given to you, knock, and it will be opened. Uh, The primary expressed intelligence is uh, we thought we were in agreement, and then one of us changed, but it was... (laughs) (laughs) I think it's people smart, and Molly thinks... It's self-smart. It's self-smart. And looked at it a little more. Okay. And had a really good idea for self-smart anyway, so... Okay. So I think it's people smart because uh, mostly of the interaction in the parable, getting people to think about how they relate to others and how that is then a mirror, uh, a dim mirror for their relationship with God and how God will will treat them. So I, I find in, in all of this from the Lord's Prayer right through the parable and, and all the teaching around it, that it's about relationships and, and trusting in God's providence when we ask. I especially. agree. I think, that is, I think that is also true, which is part of the reason why I went with people at first. And I'm, I'm pulling self in because I think it's kind of the little sister that you tag along, that tags along, <laughs> um, because there's a great deal of self-intelligence, per, intrapersonal intelligence that happens with this as well. You learn how to be in conversation with other people and with God. So there's, it's, it's not only expressing the inter, interpersonal relationships of being in relationship with God and other people, but how to do it. So there's some growth that happens and some aha kinds of things that can, that can take place in, uh, in this particular passage, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on this one, we're going to start at the top of our list and work down. So we're going to start with Math Smart. So with Math Smart, we're using the illustration of lesser to greater that is used fairly frequently in Jewish argument, in Jewish thought, that you've got this one thing, why not this other thing? It's illustrated actually in the parable itself. Jesus uses the illustration itself. Even you know enough to give good things to your children. So what do you think God is going to do? So Jesus illustrates it, the math smart, right there in verses 11 through 13. 
And you know how to add 5 plus 5, so imagine what kinds of things a math professor might be able to do. You know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Think what a French chef could do with peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Things like that. So that's kind of a way of illustrating that idea from lesser to greater is a math illustration. For Music Smart, the Lord's Prayer is, I mean, it, it's the Lord's Prayer for heaven's sake. So it's been done countless times and in a plethora of versions. And so we have just some links for you to a variety of versions by kids, for kids. We've got a kind of trippy one. We've got a groovy one from the 70s. We've got all kinds of different things. So some gospel versions, uh, just a, a wide variety of musical presentations of the Lord's Prayer for you. And in Nature Smart, use the illustrations that Jesus used in, in his instructions to the disciples. A fish, a snake, an egg, a scorpion, eh, maybe rubber toy ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and present some unlikely replacements, bread and a stone, a banana and a billy club, candy and a sea urchin, a, a toy or a hornet's nest. So, mommy, mommy, please give me, okay, here's this dangerous thing. Right. You know. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so just use some uh, some object lessons from, from nature itself. Mm -hmm. For people smart, a couple things that actually end up being special effects, I guess. So one would be to perform the sermon illustration that Jesus uses himself as a skit. So where you have someone knocking at the door of the neighbor's house would be at one end of the chancel, and the other person is across the chancel or in the choir loft or in the balcony, if you have one, uh, in bed. So you can either do it as just as it's written, just as Jesus tells it here, or you can enhance it a little bit, enhance the dialogue to bring out the point that Jesus is making about the, the persistence and the uh, shameless request at, at a ridiculous time of the uh, person knocking at the door. The other special effect would be to try the situation in the parable as an experiment, actually go to a friend's house or a neighbor's house at a, I don't know if you want to do it in the middle of the night, but go and and ask to borrow some provision for a fictional visitor and see what happens. You know, it's something that you might want to do with somebody that you know yeah. pretty well. You don't want this to be your first introduction <laughs> to a neighbor. To a neighbor. But, yeah, they'll have the sheriff keeping an eye on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> So somebody that you know in the neighborhood or, or nearby, and then, you know, if, if they're willing to give you stuff, then say, no, I'm just, I'm just doing this for an illustration. I'm doing this for church. But then talk about why. Yeah, talk about, you know, it's an opportunity to talk with your friend about God's providence and, and our sense of generosity. And if they're willing to give you stuff, you know, make sure to praise them up one side and down the other for, for their generosity. And then and their willingness to participate in the experiment. Yeah, yeah. And, and how they have then modeled God's behavior. And for self-smart, the reason that I decided to switch from people to self as, as the primary expressed intelligence is the intention of the prayer. The disciples have seen Jesus going off to pray a lot. And, and it, it's not that, you know, he did this one-time thing. It's not like the Gettysburg Address. This is, you know, the, the disciples have seen Jesus doing this frequently. And they, they're noticing that it's, it's affecting a particular quality of life for him. And they see that in him. And they think, oh, man, wouldn't that be nice? And so that's why they go to him and say, teach us how to pray. And then he uses mm -hmm. these particular words as, you know, this is kind of a guide. It wasn't supposed to necessarily have been enshrined 
which it has been because, mm. you know, that's how we are. We tend to do those sorts of things. Right. Turned it into the Gettysburg Address. These are ways of going, these are some ideas of how to talk to God. So it's, mm. it's uh, learning to talk. So as an illustration for that, think of a time when you learned to communicate in a different language. Uh, did you learn sign language? Did you learn an, another language? And, and the effort that that took and the aha experience of actually doing it. Hey, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm communicating in another language or communicating at all. Children, when they acquire language skills, there's an awful lot of brain development that takes place at that time as they learn to take their own place in the world and communicate with people. Remember, as other illustrations, remember when your own children or grandchildren or younger siblings were suddenly intelligible? Oh, that's what that word means. And we'll have a link uh, in the show notes of, that I, of a video I saw just in the last couple of weeks of this adorable little eight-month-old girl who's just babbling away at her father. She's just going on at great length, telling him about her day, using no words at all. It's just, ah, bah, 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 bah. but it's the tone of voice and her expression. She is communicating with her dad. Uh, he doesn't understand that thing she is saying, <laughs> but she is communicating. So for a special effect, use this, this particular question as a, as a foundation. How do you understand prayer? And can you think of it in terms of an ongoing conversation that you're having with God? And so we have another experiment for you. Every time you get in your car this week, imagine God is the passenger. And if you actually have other actual physical passengers in your car, imagine God as being one of them. How do you converse then? How does your conversation change? What sort of conversation do you have with the others in the car or other drivers on the road? Mm. Uh, keep track of what you talk to God about. And have you heard God say anything in the conversation that you have this week that addresses concerns that you have? Have you had any answers to your prayer? Do you receive at least strength to go on? Cool. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website at www.morethanhearing.org or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash morethanhearing. Or you can send us a tweet at at morethanhearing or send us an email at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions or maybe you got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Be sure to look for the show notes, links, and resources on our website. We publish our worksheets on each text so you can see some of our ideas that didn't make it into the podcast. They might be helpful for you or give you a spark. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast using the iTunes, Android, or RSS links at the bottom of the show notes, or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org feed podcast. You can find us on the iTunes store, too. You can subscribe there directly, and you can support the show by writing a review, which will help others find us more easily. And of course, you can share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another installment next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed. And be smart. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.
is a Whippet Good Productions.